0: I'm Matt Swoboda. I'm one of the executive pastors here. You know, it's always a little intimidating to preach here. Um, you know, I always feel like I got really big shoes to fill. Uh, not because Pastor Josh is tall, but because he's a great preacher. You know, that's how it works. And then, uh, last week, we have Grand Pastor Rick, who you guys literally gave a standing ovation. Yeah, so, and he deserved it. But while you guys are giving him standing ovation, I'm thinking, that's awesome. Then I'm also thinking, how am I supposed to, like, follow that up next week? It's terrible. Uh, but no, it's good to be with you. Hey, uh, I am finishing up a Romans 7 series, Shadow of Self, this morning. Have you guys enjoyed Romans 7? Yes. All right. Uh, like five of you. That was awesome. Jot that down. Church hates Bible. Done. <laughs> Listen, that's all we do here, so I don't know what else you're going to get. Um, no, uh, it is good. Listen, I was once in a room uh, full of pastors, and uh, that's not nearly as terrible as it sounds. But I was once in a room full of pastors, and uh, the leader of the group uh, gave us a little assignment. He said, uh, write down the name of the last person you would want to do ministry with. And I thought, oh, God. I mean, the guy's name came right to mind because he was the absolute worst, okay? I promise you he was the worst. I was like, this guy is arrogant, and he's proud, and uh, he's also really short. I'm like, that probably has something to do with it, you know, that little man syndrome going on. All the short guys in here are like, it's not a thing. <clears throat> it's not a thing. that has got to be. that has got to be part of it. Uh, but I hated it. I hated it. So I wrote this guy's name down. And uh, you know, like, when you're in school and you're the first one done with your test and, like, you put your pen down with command? Well, I never got to experience that in school. But I got to experience it that day. You know, all the other pastors were probably being much more spiritual about it. I just knew exactly who to write down. So I wrote his name down, I uh, put my pen down with command, uh, like, you know, I got this. First one done, kind of an easy one. Well, and then and I should have seen this coming. The guy, Jesus, juked the crap out of all of us. He said, he, said, he said to me, he goes, if you wrote down anybody's name except your own, you're not looking at yourself honestly enough because you know your sin a hundred times more than whoever you wrote down. What did I do? Full of shame. It got folded my paper. Not my head, like, exactly, Pastor. That is, that is exactly what I was thinking. Uh, listen, guys, that's not what I was thinking at all, okay? Uh, it was honestly a very revealing moment for me because uh, I had just described this guy in my mind as arrogant and proud. and honestly, He just wasn't a nice guy, but uh, I, I, need to, I need to get off of it. He just wasn't a nice guy. Well, then I realized in that moment, oh, man, who's the one being arrogant and proud? It's not him. It's It's me. And uh, it was this revealing moment to me that uh, opened my eyes to the reality of I am not looking at myself in the way that I ought, that I am not seeing myself as honestly uh, as I should. And what we get to see in Romans 7, uh, what we've got to see all along is Paul dealing with this dual reality of he loves God, he desires to do what's right, uh, he even knows what to do what's right, but he just can't do it. And so all of Romans, we see this inner battle that he has with himself, with his shadow self. And uh, what he, uh, the conclusion he comes to, that's what we're hitting today, uh, is what is the conclusion he comes to as he examines his life and sees this inner battle with his shadow self. And he knows, man, the law, and this is what we saw all through the chapter, is the law really reveals the, uh, it reveals the real us. That there is no, like, no skirting by who the real us is when it comes to the law. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, Romans 7, uh, read verse 24 with me. He he just gives himself this, like, really honest description, and uh, after he examines himself uh, in, through the lens of the law, what he says about himself is, wretched man that I am. Wretched man that I am. Uh, I coach my kids uh, basketball and soccer teams, and uh, now, not the five-year-old, because if you guys ever tried to coach a five-year-old soccer team, I mean, they're like, like, you're uncontrollable. They kick the ball out of bounds and they keep kicking it. It's very annoying. They won't listen. But my seven and eight-year-old, they can at least somewhat listen. And so, uh, uh, and by the way, if you're one of those parents where you're like, winning doesn't matter, do not put your kid on my team, okay? (laughs) You play to win the game, all right? So uh, we were at basketball practice one night and uh, I decided, you know, I'm going to show off a little bit You know, I'm sure I'll only pull about four muscles, but I'm going to show off a little bit. So this is a true story. So I thought, you know, I'm going to dunk a little bit for the kids, you know. And so I do. I do a couple 360s, pretty sweet. Throw the ball off the backboard, slam it down, a couple tomahawk dunks, a few windmills. Everybody who plays basketball, you're like, yeah, that's impressive. That's a true story. It's also true that it was an eight-foot goal (laughs) because that's the size of goal they play on. They can't get the ball all the way up to 10 feet. But I, it's, I'll just be honest, it still felt awesome, okay? Like, I've watched enough, like, Michael Jordan YouTube videos to so know, like, this is the this is legit. This is how it's done. Uh, and then I had a friend of mine who was, uh, his kid was on my team, who was videoing. And I thought, I'll get to show off in front of my kids for years. This is great. I'll get to replay this a little bit. Uh, well, and then uh, the opposite happened. He was like, hey, check out the video. I'm like, sweet. Let's do this thing. Come to find out, uh, I'm a man with a four-inch vertical, Uh, The video only showed, I can only jump four inches off of the ground. Like, the video had the very opposite effect of what I was going for. It was very humiliating. Uh, But what that video did, it revealed the real me. It revealed, I am not Michael Jordan. I do not have athleticism, and I am very white, if we're just being honest. That is exactly what it showed me. Uh, Listen, that's what the law does, okay? Uh, I could pretend I am like Michael Jordan. I just did a 360 dunk. The video showed, you are not. That's what the law does to us. The law makes us deal with just the uh, the brutal reality uh, of who we are. And uh, it is good for us because we, you guys all know the person who like, they just won't deal with reality. It's like the guy who is like, I'm going to be a singer. And his mom never told him, that's not your gift. You know, so he just keeps on singing forever. You know, thankfully my mom did love me and she told me I was horrible. And so I at least know when I sing out loud, like I'm killing everybody right now, Uh but listen, it's not good for anybody when we don't deal with just the reality of, man, who are we uh, in comparison with who God is. And so uh, that's what the law does. So it's good for us. And if finally, if we're honest and we look at ourselves uh, through the lens of the law, we can finally get to the spot like Paul where he says, no, no, no. If I'm going to honestly take a look at like, the man in the mirror and look at myself through the lens of the law, we finally get to the spot where we can say, no, wretched man that I am. That is who I am, you know I was a new Christian, and uh, my parents uh, my parents got divorced, my dad pretty quickly uh, remarried and moved from Arkansas to arizona and i got honestly I was just really angry, I got very mad. Uh, I started getting just more and more bitter over about a year, a year and a half time. And uh, you know when you're a teen, and if we're honest as adults, we still get a little excited when people call. because like, oh, somebody like you know, wants me and values me. Uh, well, you know, as a, as a kid, that's even like 10 times true. And so I even remember just uh, getting a call, being all excited, looking at my phone, seeing it was my dad, and just decide, and just being filled with anger. I would just go from zero to a hundred, just honestly full of rage. Uh, I don't want to talk to him. Why would I want to talk to him? And uh, just the bitterness kind of grew in my heart. I got more and more angry. And my youth pastor, finally, uh, my youth pastor who just knew me very well, had heard me, just uh, had been around me when my dad had called and I ignored and, you know, would say something uh, just out of anger and bitterness. Uh, He finally just asked me one day, he goes, Matt, what would you do if God held your sins against you the exact same way you're holding them against your father. Uh, and honestly, just no one had uh, kind of asked me a question like that before. I've, I've probably only been a Christian for about six months to a year. Uh, and honestly, the question really broke me. Because it it, what it showed me was, man, here I am. I'm living my whole life right now of wretched man that he is. Uh, look at his sin. Look what he did to me. Uh, and that question made me go, man, how, how hypocritical of me. Wretched man that I am, how can I say, man? I believe in a gospel of grace, uh, God. Yet while I was yet still a sinner, God pursued me and saved me. And then here I am, harboring this anger and this bitterness. Uh, it, it, it opened my eyes up. It revealed to me on a deeper level. No, no, it's not just wretched man that he is. It's wretched man that I am, and that's what what I have uh, to deal with. And so he, my youth pastor, he made sure I would start looking at myself through the lens of the law, so I could actually see who I was and uh, the difference and the gap that's there between who I was and who God called me to be and his holy, righteous uh, standard. Uh, if you Listen, if you guys are anything like me, you do not like describing yourself uh, in such harsh terms. You know, no one's like, hey, who are you? I'm Jonathan, I'm a wretched human. It's like, oh, then I would have no friends. Like, that's just not, that's not how we describe ourselves. But isn't it good that that's how Paul described himself? So we actually have like, it, it it we uh, it tells us we actually are, we are safe to just own and be honest with that. What we like to do is you know we always want to make ourselves look a little bit better, a little bit prettier than we are. Uh, but if we're honest, we know like all we're really doing is putting lipstick on a pig. Like I'm going to pretty it up just a little bit, but it's still a pig. That's what we try to do ourselves. I don't quite want to own my sin, my depravity, my brokenness. So I'll just make myself look a little bit better than I am all along the way. Listen, uh, it's hard to like stand in front of a room and be like, hey, I need us all to own. Like we are all wretches. But listen, when we finally do, when we finally actually see, you know, a wretched man that I am, that is a description of every single one of us. That's when it frees us to finally confess and ask the right question, the question that needs to be asked. Uh, have you guys ever asked a question that you knew, no matter how this question gets answered, it's going to change everything about my life? Anybody? Listen, uh, especially all the guys who've ever proposed, you know like that's one of those questions. Uh, I proposed to Meredith uh, when I was 18. Uh, that is descriptive, not prescriptive, uh, especially for the teens here. I proposed when I was 18, uh, and I knew you know you get all nervous because you know No matter, when I ask this question, no matter what the answer is, whether she's wise, and she says no, uh, or whether I have her fooled, and she says yes, no matter what the answer is, uh, my entire life's going to be changed. So obviously, you know, you make a big deal out of it. Uh, I was 18 and totally broke, so I was like, hey, but, you know, I'm going to propose tonight. i got to take her to a nice dinner. So we went to a nice Italian restaurant in Louisville, and uh, I made a share a meal because I was poor, but I at least let her pick the meal out. So that has to go for something. And then after that, I was like, "Hey, let's go, let's go to the Riverwalk." You know, that's where we went on our first date. And if that sounds romantic, anyone who's been in Louisville knows that river is always green, so it's not—it wasn't very romantic. But that's where we were. Listen, this was in April. I thought I'm going to be safe. It's a good time. It was freezing that day. It was absolutely freezing. The wind was blowing uh, because we were like at a nice. She had this like nice dress on with uh, without like a, a big coat. I've got my big winter coat on, but with the ring in it. So we're like walking on the river walk. She's freezing, and I can't give her my coat, you know? I like, <laughs> this is like the worst proposal ever. Now people are making like, like IMAX movies of their proposals, and here I am, not even giving her my coat. Uh, and then I propose. Well, I, you know, she says yes, you know, rest is history. But, you know, you get excited, and you get all nervous because, you know, I'm about to ask a question that the answer, whenever I ask this question, everything's going to change. That's exactly what we see with Paul here in Romans 7. He, he comes to the spot where he goes, man, I even know uh, I desire God. I want to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to do it. I know when I look at myself through the lens of the law and see God's holiness, I know, uh, man, wretched man that I am. But then he asks the question that he knows uh, me being honest about wretched man that I am frees me to ask the right question, and it's the question that will change everything. So read with me in verse 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, uh, Paul knew, I can be honest with who I am because there's actually an answer uh, that totally makes it safe to confess, wretched man, that I am. He knew, man, while the law reveals us, it's Jesus who delivers us. While the law reveals us, it's Jesus who delivers us. When we confess, who will deliver me from this body of death we're all saying and confessing, man, I know I cannot uh, appropriately deal with the sin that 's inside me i'm the well, i 'm not the one who can actually take care of the things that just plague my heart and my life and all the relationships my sin has ruined. Uh, all of the past decisions that I've done uh, that just kind of plague me, all my fears and insecurities about the future. When we get to the spot where we know, man, rich man that I am, who will deliver me? That is, It's just a confession of surrender knowing, I mean, I'm fully dependent upon God. He has to deliver me because I absolutely, uh, absolutely can't. Paul knew, man, when I humble myself before God, he absolutely delivers. I don't have more work to do. I just have to humbly confess Who will deliver me? Uh, You know, uh, we always have this contrast between law and gospel. You know, the law says run. The gospel tells us we can rest in his grace. The law says do, do this, do that, do this, do that. The gospel says done. The law rightfully tells us and shows us, man, you fall short. But then the gospel says that's true, but God saves. You fall short, but God saves. So Paul knew uh, uh, it's uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah, wretched man that I am, uh, but there's a thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord on the other side of the coin. Uh, he knew, uh, this is how John Bunyan says, uh, you know, we love to quote old dead guys around here. Uh, and so John Bunyan better describes this relationship between the message the law says to us and the message of the gospel to us. Uh, he says, Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands a far better message the gospel brings it bids us fly and gives us wings you know the gospel uh, the law gives us the standard that it knows we can't reach and gives us nothing that we need to get there. the gospel it 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 literally just proclaims the good truth over us of of I have done the work for you, and I'm not asking you to do anything except depend on me. There's not a, a higher up bar that you have to reach. The gospel tells us fly and gives us wings. You know, uh, I'm going to take us through a series of four uh, four little pictures uh, that this is the most simple, most helpful uh, little description of the Christian life uh, that I've ever seen. Someone showed me this when I was a teenager, and it is still the best thing I've seen on. Uh, just how it describes how we grow in Christ and how we make sense of this Romans 7 uh, battling our shadow self uh, as we grow as Christians. And so uh, go ahead and throw the first one. So, you know, uh, that spot of convertment, when we become a Christian, uh, what happens is God splits us in half. I'm just kidding. That's not what That's not what happens. That's not what that means. Uh, no, when we—you uh, guys gave me a little bit more there than the A, but I think i got to kill that joke. It's just not—it's just— it's just not there. Uh, no, at the moment of conversion, a few things happen, okay? At the moment of conversion, our life changes. At the moment of conversion is when we know, May I, no wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But the entire Christian experience is us growing in the, the knowledge and the felt reality of three truths. And the first one is just the reality of God's holiness. We continue to grow in the understanding of how just we view who God is how holy he is, how perfect he is, how righteous he is, how good he is, how big he is, how beautiful he is. We grow in our knowledge of who God is and we start seeing. Uh, I didn't understand, uh, we'll never under- fully grasp who God is. But as we pursue him and seek him, that understanding uh, it just grows little by little as we go. Uh, the second thing that we continue to grow in our understanding is our view of my own sinfulness. You know, when we uh, when we become Christians, there's at least some there's at least some acceptance and knowledge of uh, God's good. I'm not. That's why Jesus came. Uh, but what what I think we think sometimes is, man, when I become a Christian, my whole life just starts to uh, uh, so, uh, supposed to start getting better, and I get more holy, and there's less sin, and all, and all the and we do we are transformed from one degree of glory to another in Christ. But what happens while we do that is we actually grow and we see more deeply our own depravity. We actually see, man, that sin that's in my life. There's there's some more depth there than I realized. Or we actually pursue God and, and ask kind of the question of, uh, man, are there areas in my life that, uh, that I'm kind of keeping back for myself and not submitting to God? And then uh, God in his faithfulness uh, reveals all those things to you. And you realize, man, there, there's, I'm just more sinful than I, than I ever knew. Um, so we grow in the knowledge and the understanding of, man, the, the, the gap just gets bigger and bigger of who God is and who we are. But then the third thing that we get to learn and recognize and grow in our understanding of is just the bigness and the beauty uh, of the cross. You know, John Newton, uh, when he was getting old, uh, he, said, he said this. Uh, John Newton's another old dead uh, theologian. He said, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. You know what he doesn't say is, man, I'm at the end of my life. Good thing I've just grown so much in holiness, and I'm so much like Jesus. That's not what he says. He says, no, what's become more and more clear to me is this, that I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. Our entire Christian existence, as we live out and understand this Romans 7 and this battle with our shadow self is, we, we own little by little, but more and more, man, I'm even more sinful than I realize, but God's even more gracious than I ever realized. He's even more pure and holy than I ever realized. And what happens is in our hearts, the, the, the grace of the cross gets larger and larger in our hearts because we realize he didn't just fill a gap like this. And then he didn't just fill a gap like this. He's, he's filling a, a gap that can only be covered by the grace of Jesus. And so we become more in awe and we get to finally get to the spot to say, yeah, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? We finally, when we see it, our hearts get to say, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we finally feel those realities, when we finally feel, man, and we plead, who will deliver me from my addiction, from my guilt, my shame, from my insecurities, from just the anger and bitterness that fills me? Who will deliver me from my selfishness and my pride? Who will deliver me just from my gossip, uh, who will deliver me from my spiritual apathy and my idolatry? We get, our hearts get to rejoice. Uh, That's what's so powerful about Romans 7 is here at the end. He doesn't, he doesn't go through all this. I even want to do what's right and I can't. He doesn't then just say, I just need to sit here and beat myself up. No, what he says is, no, I'll own that I can't. But then at the, the next thing I get to say is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that there's no pause, there's no there's nothing in between verses 24 and 25. There isn't a, uh, man, who will deliver me? I'll try doing this, and I'll try doing this, and I'll try doing this. He just immediately knows, nothing I can try can deliver me at all. Just thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that the debt's been paid and that I can be set free in him. But listen, here's the best news. We got to remember Romans 7 is Paul talking about himself as a believer. So the best news about Romans 7 isn't that Jesus just delivers us from sin once. It's not just, I'll initially save you, and then I'm wishing you luck. Jesus saves us once, he delivers us once, and then he continues to deliver us once and for all. That he saves us initially, and then he continually delivers us every single day. There's a reason why he says, I have new mercies for you every morning. He knows that we need them, and that the beauty of the cross and the pursuit of God is that he, while we're faithless, he remains to be faithful. He's our savior initially, but also every single day. Uh, You know, uh, it's his active and living presence in our lives that's the answer uh, to our sins. We get to own. He genuinely is, he's a savior with no quit. Where our sin runs deep, his grace keeps running deeper. As we see the more and more depth of uh, our sin, it, all that that it literally just creates an opportunity to see grace even bigger than we did before. Uh, good news uh, about the gospel for us is, uh, do you guys, uh, anybody in here ever feel like, man, I'm so grateful my spouse puts up with me? Anybody ever feel that? Every hand should be raised. If not, like, I just put you on blast and you're getting a, a chat on the way home that you didn't <laughs> put your hand up. Listen, Everyone, uh, people think like, oh, you know, it would be cool to hang out with Matt and, uh, and, you know, kind of be his friend. I promise you, you don't want that. Every single time Meredith and I hang out with a new couple, there's this point at dinner. And after the last service, somebody came up to me and go, I've actually heard her say that. And uh, so I promise you, I'm not lying. There's this point at dinner where we're hanging out with a new couple, and uh, the couple kind of gets like this, this look. And Meredith says the same thing every time. He's always like that. I think I've heard those words more than, I love you. He's, he's always like that. Like, don't worry. This isn't anything extra or special. Like, like he's all, the good news about Jesus, it, he, he rejoices in that, dang it. And that's what I got to tell her. He is happy that I'm always like this. Um, uh, but no, uh, in all seriousness, isn't it good? Like, you know, sometimes we all drive our spouses crazy, and they need a few minutes. Like, I'm going to go get, you know, coffee or something. I just, I, I, need, I need to get away from you. It's legitimately good news that Jesus, not he delivers us initially and continually, and he rejoices over it the entire time. No matter how sinful, broken, and messed up, and even when we knew, man, this last week, I didn't want to do that, but I, I did it again. Jesus is never sitting there saying, good grief, do I need a break from you? We ought to have this, like, this we get to rest in this reality that we literally can't blow it with Jesus. We're never out of his reach. We're, we never sent our way out of his love. He is there. He goes, now, I'll be faithful to you to the end, and I will rejoice every single step of the way. Uh, do you guys remember when we used to have to pay per text message? Anybody remember that? The teens in here are like, what? <laughs> I'm broke. My parents don't have a house. Listen, I remember because I got a phone call once from, uh, from my dad. And he goes, hey, what's this $350 bill? <laughs> well, I don't know. I have, I have no idea. You should call Verizon, you know? They're the one that sent you the bill. He goes, I know what it, what it is. You sent like 1,000, you know, whatever the number was, text messages in a month. I was like, I really think you need to call Verizon. There might be something, you know, on their end. Uh, truth be told, there is no problem on Verizon's end. You know, I'm a talker, and I guess that was also be a text as well. Uh, you know what's beautiful about being a kid? Uh, now, did my text messaging privileges get taken away for a couple months? Absolutely. Did I have to pay the three hundred and fifty dollars I did not have? No. Thankfully, that's the beauty of, of being a kid. When you're an adult, now if you're still doing this, please stop. Please stop. When you're an adult, you like blow one of your bills. You should. You're not supposed to be like still calling mom, being like, "Hey, mom, I texted too, or I used too much data." You know, whatever it is. All you guys are like, "I have unlimited data. It's not a problem." Well, I don't, okay, and I still have to look at it. Uh, But that's a beauty of childhood. You have the safety net of your parents. Uh, It's the same thing in Christ. We have this safety net in Christ where he does not make us pay for our dumb mistakes. We don't pay for the consequences of our sin. He goes, no, I paid for that, and that's why I'm faithful to you till the end there's this safety net. It's going to sound weird, but that like we literally can't lose. The war's already been won. We just get to stumble our way through the battle sometimes. But we get to do it with this confidence and this rest of like, I literally can't thwart God's plan. I can't undo what he has done for me. So uh, we're going to play a little testimony video of just a a young man in our church that uh, that had this, uh, just the moment of man, had to own, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Uh, And now his entire life, it to be, man, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So uh, watch this testimony video with me.
1: I remember when I was seven years old and mom was talking about Jesus on the way to school. And I looked at her and I said, Mom, I want to I go to heaven. I want eternal life. And she was like, okay. Uh, okay, well, pray with me. And she took me through kind of a prayer. Growing up, I've always thought that my faith in Christ was out of my efforts. And it didn't matter if I desired it or didn't desire it, as long as I did it, as long as I performed it. When I was in middle school, I started watching pornography. The only thing I was afraid of was getting caught because something inside of me told me this is wrong. I would feel so ashamed that I can't ask God for forgiveness. So that continued for five more years. One day, I came home, and I was, you know, watching stuff on the internet. My mom got home and quickly turned the monitor off and ran into my room. So then she walks in the house, and I get up, and she sees me, and the first thing she goes to is the computer. Turns the monitor on, and she sees what I was looking at. So she calls me, and I said, you know, what's up? She said, what is this? And I said, I don't know. I don't know what that is. And... She kept asking me, and then she pulled up this web page of all the history of me using the websites. I felt so ashamed, and I just broke. She didn't. She didn't yell. She didn't point her finger at me. She just wrapped her arms around me. She just had compassion. My pursuit for God increased because. I was under the understanding that in order to rid of this, in order to become whole and for God to transform me, I need to refrain more. I need to try. So my faith into college became works-based. In college, just, um, just things going really, really well. I was sitting in my room one day. I was watching a sermon. This preacher was um, talking about, you know, um, our fallen nature, my fallen nature. And I realized that there was a confession of my sin that needed to take place. And I was scared because if I were to express this, then it would, it would, tear down that identity that I had developed throughout my whole life as a Christian. And I was scared for that to be erased. When I finally shared with him the deepest things in my heart. You know, my belief about him and how it was not real and it wasn't true. I felt this feeling of, you know, Jeremiah, you weren't designed to be able to, you know, refrain from sin. You weren't designed to be able to, you know, meet my requirement. That's why I sent my son Jesus, to do that, because I knew that you couldn't. And the burden of the the efforts, you know, the work that I put into creating this facade of Christianity that was all for the gratification of my flesh, all for self-identity, all that became, like, not desiring anymore I felt grace through that encounter with God it moved from my mind understanding God to my heart understanding God and understanding that He is making me clean and and perfecting me and sanctifying me and I, and I don't just know that now I feel that now and now I have joy and now I have peace and and Now it's not about my external, it's about what's inside. So I can be in the biggest storm ever, but feel like I'm on cloud nine. And like, that is freedom. That's the freedom that I found in Christ.
0: You know, uh, all of us have the tendency to do the exact same thing Jeremiah did. His mom says, what's this? I don't know. I have no idea. But where freedom is found is when we say, no, no, I know what that is. That's the sin inside of me. That's the wretched man that I am. But then when we get to ask that question, but who will deliver me from this body of death is when we get to say with Jeremiah, Jesus, the one who is cleansing me every single day from within. When we are in Christ, the theme of our life gets to be, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The theme of our life is no longer our fears, our failures, our insecurities, our past sins, uh, those things do not dominate our life. That is not the theme of our life. No matter what you walk into this room with, whether you're the one who's saying, man, I'm the one like you, full of anger and this bitterness that it is destroying me, it, it like torments me every single day, uh, or you're the one saying, man, I'm walking through just, uh, I just got done walking through this brutal divorce, or uh, man, I'm the one in the midst of this addiction that I am fighting, and I just feel like I am being destroyed. Listen you get to say this morning the same thing that Paul said. There is a a safety net of grace that you get to say with Paul. Let me just own, man, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? So that our hearts can rejoice and actually feel the weight of. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the best part about Romans 7 is even after that, so Paul confesses, uh, and then he says, uh, but he says, but there's grace. I can say things be to God through Jesus. He then reiterates at the end of verse 25. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. He knows even though I know I'm going to keep sinning, I can keep throwing myself to Jesus, having a life for the theme of my life is thanks be to God, because he knows that all of Romans 7 is pointing to Romans 8, 1, and that when he stumbles and he sins and he falls, what gets whispered into his ears, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the message every single one of our hearts has got to feel, is that it doesn't matter this could have been literally your most sinful week of your entire faith. And Jesus is looking at you saying, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My prayer for us is that we will just be a people. We do not have to pretend to be an ounce better than we are. If someone had a reason to pretend to be better than they were, it was Paul who was literally leading the entire church, the entire world. And he just says, no, no, but who I am is wretched, wretched man that I am. But I have a great Savior. And my life theme gets to be thanks be to God through Jesus. May that be the theme of every single one of our lives. Uh, Pray this with me. Lord, I just thank you that we get to confess and we get to just own that you are not looking for us to be uh, to be perfect and holy and righteous, but that you sent your perfect and holy and righteous Son so that we can just confess. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. God, I just pray that every Christian in this room, that we will feel this uh, the a burden lifted and this freedom that we get to rest in your grace knowing you are not sitting here angry angry with us and feeling like, I got you. I got you in your sin from this past week, but that you are looking at us and saying, I will deliver you. I've got you. I will be faithful to you. May our hearts just feel the weight of that grace from you. And God, I pray for everybody in this room who they, if they have never felt and experienced your grace, that They are still doing what I did for so long and putting lipstick on a pig and not wanting to own. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? God, I just pray that they will feel a a pulling towards you and a freedom and a safety knowing I can own all of my sin. And all God has for me is grace that when I put my trust in Christ, there is genuinely now no condemnation. Help every person in this room to just throw ourselves to you to not be worried about how are we performing in front of you and in front of others. But only be worried about is our heart filled with thankfulness for the grace that you've shown us. I pray this for our church that we will just be a a people so marked by grace that everyone who walks in our midst knows I can be so open about my sin because they are And they love Jesus because they feel his grace. I just pray that for our church. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.